Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is an expert on Arizona politics from the Washington Post, Yvonne uh, Winget Sanchez. This is our weekly series on key battleground states. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write in the Politics War Room at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, The Jordan Harbinger Show and Upside in the show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, we got a lot to talk about with the election less than a month away, but we got to start with Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who said Democrats are pro-crime and they want reparations for those criminals. Now, Tuberville, who didn't know the three branches of government when he got to the Senate, is, so, is too stupid to use a dog whistle, so he's just an out-and-out vile racist. Uh, former football coach at Auburn and elsewhere whose success was due to the labor's of very good black players. Now, he can be dismissed as just a modern-day Bilbo, but where are the Mitch McConnells or the Lindsey Grahams or other Republicans to condemn this racism? Basically, nowhere. And then this week, you know, every college football player, every sports reporter who's covering, whether it's Wake Forest, they don't have a game, but covering Clemson or covering Florida or covering any place else, ought to ask the coach what they think of what Tommy Tuberville says. They're all going out in the field with 70, 80% black players. Uh, and similarly, Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker caught in one lie after another. It just keeps going. How many children has he had with how many women running as an anti-abortion candidate while changing his story and back and forth on the charges he paid for one woman to have an abortion? Again, where is the GOP criticism? And the bottom line for today's Republican Party is Tommy Tuberville and Herschel Walker are welcome while Liz Cheney, devout conservative, mother of five with one husband, is a pariah. They don't do it because 75% of the Republicans agree with Tommy Tuberville. We've got to understand that. The reason that Mitch McConnell can't say anything and no one else, no one else will say anything because they're going to lose the votes. That is, that is a majoritarian position in the Republican Party. And again, I, 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 I know I'm, I'm like a, a, a one-trick pony here, but the problem is Republican voters, not Republican politicians. If a Republican politician criticized Tuberville, they'd lose a primary. His position... Now, I don't know why that, you know, some news organization with real resources ought to go back and interview some of these black players that played for Tuberville. How do you feel now? Because you know exactly what Tommy Tuberville thinks of you. He told you right to your face. And, of course, he's an idiot, but he's not such an idiot that he doesn't repeat what he hears 100 times a day. And that's what he's hearing 100 times a day from Republican voters. I, I just don't think Republicans, we're not going to be saved by Republican politicians because they can't. They'll all be ousted if they say anything. Well, his best team, 2004, undefeated, had seven players who were star uh, NFL players. Every one of them, of course, is black. James, I, I, I get your point. But, you know, going back in history, the vast majority of Republican voters agreed with Joe McCarthy. But there were a couple profiles in courage, like Margaret Chase Smith, who stood up to him. And maybe the leader of the party couldn't do it at the time. But I don't see any rank and file. I mean, maybe Mitt Romney will, but I don't see any others. Mm, I, they can't because they'll lose. Well, Margaret Chase Smith did. 
Well, but that was Maine in 1950s, yeah. all right? Just that they, 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 Maine has never, you know, wasn't that crazy. I Look, I'm not, I'm really not defending them. No, I know I'm you're not. I'm just saying what the reality is. That That's what their voters want. And we just got to understand that. And that, 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 that there's courage. I mean, look, you know, yeah, look at Liz Cheney. Look at Adam Kinzinger. Look at all the people that voted the other way. They're, not, They're not all out. Year. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. all fucking out. This is the, the, the people that vote love this kind of hateful rhetoric. They, they agree totally with it. I mean, look what's going on. And it's not, you know, of course, they're politicians as feckless as politicians anywhere in the world. That's that's not the issue. The issue is is they're voters. They have a voter problem, not a leader problem. James, let me switch to, to uh, economics. I, I have said and believe the Democrats in this midterm election are are wrong to run away from inflation. That's what people, a lot of people care about. They got another gift this week when Senate Republicans vowed to repeal the drug pricing bill enacted this year. Now, this bill, would part of the Inflation Reduction Act, that's what it was called, that this bill would enable Medicare to negotiate drug prices, set a maximum out-of-pocket annual drug cost, put a $35 a month cap on insulin. I can't think of a single competitive state or district in America where I wouldn't want to run on that and challenge my opponent to oppose that. What about Social Security and Medicare? That's Rick Scott. Read John Chait. They're, they're out there. Of course, you got the Washington Post saying it's unfair to say that the Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare. It's all that they've ever tried to do. And they're telling you again they're going to do it. And given half a chance, we know that from the 90s. We know that from when Bush was there. And, and you got these these neutral media observers saying, oh, no, it's not, you can't say that about the Republicans. Hell, man, it, it's, uh, they've tried that time and time and time and time again, and they're telling you they're going to do it again. Uh, again. Well, I think that's good. I think that's good. But man, man, I think the, I think the drug pricing, people are really upset about drug prices. And I think that's just as good an issue. And uh, it's a it's a great and they issue. They ought to hit it every single day from now to November. They, they should hit it. But but Tommy Tuberville saying it just it's just black criminals want reparations is some powerful medicine out there. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that say, well, I'd give up my Social Security. You know, it's it's so idiotic and so depressing. It it's. You try not to think about it, but you can't not think about it. It's just that depressing. Well, yeah, you're right. And let me let me say, I have a lot of respect for Auburn University. My wife was honored there a couple of years ago. I think it got a lot of great people there. And Tommy does. Tuberville does not represent Auburn University. You know, it's, people know me that I'm Southern and they know that I love college football, all right? I... And people like me are just deeply humiliated and embarrassed by Tommy Tuberville. I mean, it just, you know, when anybody of any socioeconomic group, when somebody of their same group does something stupid, you just flinch and says, God, man, that that person's making us all look bad. Tommy Tuberville is making every Southerner partially look like an idiot. And, And I'm sorry. He's just goofy. He and he just he's dumb, James. He's dumb, but dumb. He's dumb and dirt, concrete. Yeah. But <laughs> but by the same token, they what he's saying. I I I would I can hear people in Alabama saying, "Well, I tell you what, you can hey, hey, at least a man don't talk like other politicians." I mean, he. I like the way I like the way he speaks. You know, the real truth, and yeah. you can hear yeah. that in a thousand coffee shops in Alabama. I, I, oh. I, you know. Yeah, they have a terrible voter problem. They just do, and we just got to deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, people are saying, you know, it was a famous, you know, Lee Atwater said, well, they used to say, you know, blank, blank, blank. Now you have to, like, talk around it and see things. No, now they just, they're one degree away from just blurting out blatant racial epitaphs. They just, they, it, it's going to come out. Tommy, they, just, Tommy, they just keep pushing and pushing to, and pushing. Uh, Tommy Tuberville basically erased that uh, that one degree. Okay, yeah. um, we got we got only four more weeks to go.
Hey, James, we are joined by Yvonne Winget-Sanchez, political reporter for The Washington Post in Arizona. Previously, she was the national political reporter for the Arizona Republican, and she really knows the state. Yvonne, there is no more intense political arena than Arizona. Starting with a gubernatorial contest, Democrat Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State, versus Carrie Lake, former TV anchor, Trump-supporting election denier. From afar, this looks like a contest between the charisma of Carrie Lake and the extremism of Carrie Lake. I think you could fairly sum it up that way. <laughs> um, we have Carrie Lake, who's been on the TV for 27 years until uh, leaving the industry and launching uh, her campaign largely on the lie that Trump uh, won the 2020 election. And uh, she faces Katie Hobbs, who is um, the Secretary of State, a longtime Democrat, and uh, sort of has a reputation as someone who stood for democracy uh, in the wake of the 2020 election. And uh, during the 2021 um, ballot review of Maricopa uh, County uh, ballots in 2021 that... um, also affirmed Biden's win. So it's sort of uh, a test of which direction Arizona is going to go. Are we going to go the route of uh, Katie Hobbs and, uh, you know, pro-democracy? Or are we going to go the way of of Carrie Lake, who clearly uh, stands for something else? Well, that's such a good point. And you are the democracy reporter for the Washington Post. Uh, But there's a lot at stake there. It's not only Lake, the Republican candidate for secretary of state, which has a key role in certifying elections. Mark Fincham attended the January 6th insurrection. A QAnon supporter argues Biden didn't win. The GOP's attorney general candidate says the election was rigged, won't happen next time. If Republicans should take all these offices, they'll be able to achieve in 2024 what they couldn't in 2020. Perhaps some of it's going to be also dictated by what happens at the state legislature. Obviously, there is a chance that the Senate could um, flip, uh, perhaps by maybe you know one vote, and that could certainly upend any plans that Republicans might have uh, on election the election legislative front. But um, yeah, all the way up and down, uh, we've got election deniers on the Republican side. Well, uh, we don't want to overlook that important Senate race as early voting began this week. The polls and talking to politicians suggest that incumbent Mark Kelly, former astronaut Democrat, has a consistent four or five point lead over Blake Masters, uh, Trump and Peter Thiel back candidate who uh, in a Fox interview, I think just uh, a day or two ago, uh, came back to saying that, uh, that Trump actually won the election in 2020. Look, uh, Blake Masters has been saying for a very long time that the election was somehow stolen, somehow rigged. I know that some thought that he tried to take some sort of different stance during the recent Senate debate with Mark Kelly, where he seemed to suggest that uh, big tech and the media colluded to somehow deny Trump the presidency. That's something that he's been saying for a long time. Um, He has been consistent in his belief that the election was uh, stolen. So there might have been one moment in time where people who haven't been paying much attention to the race on the ground here in Arizona thought he was trying to somehow soften his language. That's not at all what that was. That was a doubling down of where he's been. And Yvonne, am I right that Kelly's been consistently four or five points ahead in in almost all the polls? Well, depending on what poll you look at, that is obviously going to uh, narrow, I would expect it maybe to end up being a two to three point race, which is right. what we've seen here with uh, Kirsten Cinema and Martha McSally back in 2018 with uh, Kelly and McSally uh, in 2020. James. So it is assumed that, that uh, Carrie Lake will run ahead of Blake Masters. You hear this is pretty much conventional wisdom. Yeah, well, by Kelly's going to probably win, but there's a, a, a real threat of governor's race. Do you concur in that sort of conventional observation? That uh... I do, and part of it just comes down to the quality of the candidates. I mean, Ke- Carrie Lake is... She's charismatic. She packs the room. She's used to to looking straight at camera and speaking to audiences and being relatable. And people really seem to be drawn to that. 
with Blake Masters, he's a newcomer to the scene. He lives down in Tucson. He hasn't had the sort of exposure that Carrie Lake has had. And he's up against Mark Kelly, who is known nationally, internationally, and here in Arizona as the husband of Gabby Giffords, the man who stood by her side after a horrific tragedy and, you know, a former astronaut. And I will tell you, when I go into Democratic events where Mark Kelly is, they are not talking about Mark Kelly. They are looking ahead to 2024 and what they want to do to Kirsten Cinema. So that race to me seems much more settled than the governor's race. So well, you, you hit the magic word. I've got to ask you, Christian Cinema. People ask me, and I say, I don't know. I don't have any idea. I couldn't imagine that she's going to run for re-election as a Democrat because she would have, in my opinion, distant opinion and uninformed as may be, she would not have a chance in a Democratic primary. Is that pretty much what you hear on the ground? I hear that from more progressive types. I do not see, I cannot imagine a world in which Kirsten Cinema abandons the Democratic Party, joins the Republican Party. Um, I think that she has been pretty consistent, at least in the last decade or so, her time in Washington, that she's a pretty um, moderate Democrat on fiscal issues, and she is a much more progressive Democrat on social issues. And I just don't see her... Um, abandoning the party. My question is a little bit different. Is Can she win a Democratic primary in 2024 in Arizona? Yes. Because she's going to be challenged. Yes, I think she can. I think there are a lot of very upset people uh, on the on the left and they are noisy and they are rowdy and they want someone like Ruben Gallego uh, over in the House who will take it to um, Republicans and, um, you know, they're loud and they have opinions. I don't think that she would lose a Democratic primary. And I don't think that she would lose. There is not one Republican in this state that I could think of that she would lose to in a general. Okay. So there's been a, a, a lot of angst and things about, well, you know, the Hispanic vote. And the Arizona certainly did better than Texas or Florida. I mean, it's not, this is great. It is not a monolithic thing at all. Uh, do you expect the Democratic Hispanic vote, vote among to be less in 2022 than it was in 2020? Or you think it'll be about the same? I, I don't want to make predictions. I mean, I will say right. there is a lot of energy on both sides. Um, to register and engage uh, Latinos. Um, Democrats seem to be sort of taking a more traditional route, um, hitting college campuses um, and uh, doing a lot of events uh, around healthcare and the economy that, you know, have energy. Republicans uh, are sort of doing the same thing, but they seem to be um, trying to meet Latinos sort of where they are, rodeos, Spanish language, Democrats, I should say, are doing that too uh, in terms of Spanish language. Um, so it will be really interesting to see what that outreach amounts to, particularly ahead of 2024, where Republicans did see um, gains with Latinos, especially males in the southern part of the state uh, in 2020. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, and if they can build on that success. So one more question. I'll turn it back to Al. Uh, Hobbs is refusing to debate, which is kind of unusual Democratic position. What is her rationale for not wanting to debate Carrie Lake? What does she say when is why don't you get teed up and debate? What's her answer? Well, like a lot of us, she watched the Republican primary debate where Carrie Lake, by all intents and purposes, sort of took control. It was chaotic. It was off the rails. I don't know if voters got a, um, a fair, informative assessment of where the candidate stood on issues. It was a food fight. And Hobbs has made it really clear that if she's going to get on a debate stage, she wants it to be a um, well-moderated discussion about the issues. And she's chosen not to get on stage with, uh, with Carrie Lake. And instead, she is 
uh, taking her campaign into the community, speaking to people uh, directly. We just found out right before this taping that um, she is going to appear on uh, PBS soon, alone, in the same sort of format that uh, Carrie Lake is going to appear uh, in. So not going to be a side-by-side comparison, but she uh, certainly is going to try to make her case uh, alone. Um, Yvonne, the two most successful uh, Arizona politicians, Republicans Barry Goldwater and John McCain, they wouldn't be welcome in today's Arizona Republican Party, would they? I don't think so. Uh, We saw what the Republican Party did to John McCain under uh, recent GOP chairs, more recently under Kelly Ward, who heads the GOP. He was censured. He was maligned. He continues to be Um, Carrie Lake is obviously um, using uh, the McCains um, as um, a talking point uh, in the general election, not sitting well uh, with a lot of people. Uh, I think to some extent, uh, Republicans, even establishment Republicans who are close to the McCains expect that sort of rhetoric during a primary. Uh, I think they think it's unforgivable during the general well, that brings me to I'm not a big uh, a big fan of, of endorsements meaning very much. I think they rarely, rarely do. But I see where some members of the McCain family uh, are weighing in uh, against Lake, against against Masters. Liz Cheney is, too. Uh, is that having an effect on the margins for, you know, some moderate Republicans or independents? Absolutely, especially um, when you look towards the suburbs and along this area called the Loop 101, where you see um, a lot of wealthier families, uh, educated families. These are the people who helped decide the Senate races and the presidency um, in 2020 and 2018. Um, Any pickup with any group of people in a race this close, the gubernatorial race this close, and all, all the way down on these statewide races, is going to matter. So uh, I, it doesn't it doesn't hurt them. There are a lot of a lot of LDS uh, families here in Phoenix. Um, they want to hear from people like Liz Cheney, people like Adam Kinzinger, who just weighed in in the Secretary of State's race, from um, people like Rusty Bowers, who's the state um, Speaker of the House, who just lost his uh, primary um, because he stood uh, he stood up against Trump's allies. And the McCain name still matters to some people. I think Jimmy McCain is out campaigning for uh, Hobbs or or Kelly. Jimmy McCain matters. Jack McCain, who is uh, far less um, vocal um, these days, especially with these elections, but who lives here in town, he matters. Cindy McCain matters. Um, And again, especially with the people on the suburbs, um, they're going to be looking towards this family for some direction. Yvonne, let me come back to, I guess it's democracy. There have been audits and audits of the last election. Even after the regular order, the regular procedure, checking and rechecking, the Republican legislature brought in their own group, uh, looked like a partisan group. And even they found that Biden won by more than 10,000 votes. The leading Republican election lawyer, Ben Ginsburg, says never has an election been reversed with a margin that large. So I guess, do these Arizona, does the, do the lakes and masters of the world really believe what they're saying? Or has this just become, you know, a talking point for the base? I'm not going to try to get in their heads. I think that they are using language that energizes the base. And uh, I think they know that. Yeah. Because certainly there's no logic to it. I mean, that group came in and that's, I, I remember Republicans saying, boy, we're going to prove now it was, a, it was a real fraud. And I think it ended up saying actually Biden got a couple hundred more votes than the original count. You have to remember that when you are out talking to the people that they are, that they are talking to, that a lot of these people do not recognize Joe Biden as the legitimate president. And so when I'm out interviewing people before I can even get to a question if I am using the words President Joe Biden, it's a fight. And that is what they are encountering um, with every appearance. Boy. James. So I guess I'm looking at the, the, it strikes me, and I haven't been in Arizona, but it strikes me the Democratic Party is very united around these two candidates. I mean, I, I, maybe some other really far left, but other than that, I, I even heard them make much of a stir. And the Republican Party it is not unified, at least a good 10%, 12% of, of its more fluent, uh, call them what you want, 
members, that generally leads to a pretty good result, doesn't it? One party is in a, in, a, in a close state, which Arizona is. One party is unified, the other not so much so. Is that a correct assessment for what's going on? Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely helpful for Democrats, and it's something that they continue to highlight in their messaging um, every day. Um, they haven't seen broad success since 2018. So they've, Republicans, probably because of the infighting, exacerbated infighting, um, have been spending a lot of time beating each other up. And in the meantime, you know, Democrats have, uh, have captured two Senate seats and uh, helped deliver the White House um, to Trump, or excuse me, to Biden. And so um, absolutely the infighting on the Republican side helps Democrats. So the... Republican Party, you know, Arizona was just a red state for a long, long time. It, it's certainly not a blue state now, but it's not a red state either. Is immigration, I mean, is immigration into the state, has it been more that there are more Hispanics, uh, greater percentage of Hispanics in Arizona now than it was 15 or 20 years ago? Or are college-educated whites moving into Arizona and moving the needle. It's got to be one of the two, doesn't it? I think it's both. We're seeing a, trem yeah, right. yeah, a tremendous growth um, among the Latino population, and we are seeing tremendous growth by transplants. We are the biggest, fastest-growing county in the country. We remain one of the fastest-growing uh, counties in the country. And, you know, people arrive here. They were Republican in their states that they lived in for many years, they arrive here in Arizona and they don't know what this is. And many of them will join the Republican party for some time and then they'll leave, they'll become independents. Um, so I, I do think probably the biggest threat to the Republican party here in Arizona is the transplant factor. That's, um, that's, that's, that's what a lot of uh, GOP operatives are, are deeply concerned about. And those are the same type of people that Democrats are really trying to reach. Albert. Well, Yvonne, you have been, you've told us a lot about, about the crazy quilt world of Arizona politics in 2022. I can't think of a state that has more interesting races, if sometimes not always uplifting. But, and you're going to have a very busy next month. But we really thank you for joining us and, and really edifying us on uh, out there. And, and, and stay safe and don't get hurt by those people who say Donald Trump is still president. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Yeah, and, and, and I, I back up what he says, stay safe. As you know, there's some really freaking crazy people out there. <laughs> it seems, and I don't want to disparage the fine people of the great state of Arizona, but Arizona seems to have gotten their share of these really crazy people. <laughs> they didn't get left short on the deal. Well, I, I do wear tennis shoes to all of my events, and I appreciate your concern. Good. Well, and you have a and you have a quick first step, I hope. So there we go. Duck. <laughs> <And laughs> yeah. Thank you, Yvonne. You, you're terrific. Thanks so much. Now for those terrific questions from our listeners, and they're all so good. We'll start off with Stephen in South Carolina, who, who asked, why are migrants treated as wards of the state? We have record job openings all around the country, not enough workers to fill some of these vacancies. Why can't these migrants be allowed and encouraged to work so they can provide for themselves? They would, that would lower hostility to immigrants and help our economy, James. Absolutely. And the, the, the labor shortage, and let me tell you where these migrants are welcome, in the state of Florida. Absolutely. I am waiting to, when I, if you drive from New Orleans to, to Tallahassee or Jacksonville, where you go, on I-10 East, I suspect that we're going to see a sign that says, Governor Ron DeSantis welcomes you to the state of Florida, a sanctuary state. Come on in and go to Southwest Florida, no questions asked. And boy, do we do we need migrants now? And do they need them in Southwest Florida? 
Absolutely. Are they going to be checking anybody's papers down there? I think not. I, th I think if you're on a roof in, in Fort Myers, you're golden. Yep. You know, if you're, you're couldn't, you, know, you you're, couldn't have rebuilt your hometown of no, New Orleans the way they did without, without, not, without no way. Right. I, I hate to say this because it sounds kind of, you know, controversial, but no way, Jose. We, we yeah. need you. Yep. Absolutely. Badly, really badly. And they need it. They need it down there and they need to get as many as can. This thing is going to be so freaking hard on these people that you can't imagine what they're getting ready to go through. But I, I know I've lived through it myself. And the other thing that they're going to find out, they're going to be huge problems with insurance companies because these coverages, they, you know, you got to prove it was wind and not water. And when they go to rebuild, it's going to cost them 40% more than they think. And some of it is attributable to inflation. That is correct. But more of it is they're not going to, they're going to have to build to a certain code. And man, let me tell you, I have a place. I'm on 64 pilings. Uh, you know, if you want to live in a hurricane zone on the water, then you better build your place that it will survive 95%. You know, if that storm hits my place in Bay St. Louis, mm, I'm probably 50-50, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the game. But You're some of these people the have not been. And, Stephen, that is a great question. Uh, it is it really a superb is. And question. I, I think James raises a good point. Let's see what Governor DeSantis does in the next couple right. of months. I'll tell you what uh, he's going to do. Come on in, dudes. Hey, yeah. come to Florida. John in Chicago ask another great question. In light of OPEC's moves, is it time to reevaluate America's relationship with Saudi Arabia? You bet it is, John. I mean, they they goddamn just, uh, you know, insulted us. Uh, they went, I, I wonder if MBS, the thuggish crown prince over there, likes to murder people, including journalists, and torture his own people. Uh, I wonder if he didn't delight in getting that fist bump from Biden so he could stick it to him later. This OPEC move not only is lousy for the most of the rest of the world it also is pro-russian and i see no reason why we should we are saudi arabia's defense we supply them with all the weapons with all the training and everything and god damn it if they're going to do this uh, i think that not only ought to be reevaluated, but some stuff ought to, ought to stop right now and people say well you know you really need them i mean they're well they really need us because they sure as hell don't think the russians can protect them if there's a problem over there well, well, there's some options we have. So we've sold them AWACS, we've sold them fighter planes, we've sold them everything. You, you know what is non-existence? Spare parts manufacturing in Saudi Arabia. Right. So one of the things that I think we should look at is cutting off any spare part supplies because they can't, they, they have to have so many, so it, it, it's a mechanical thing. It goes... There's another thing that's happening. I have no idea. It probably won't work. But my dream is what happens in Iran, because that's a, let me tell you something. You talk about a remarkable country, you know, with really criminal leadership. But they seem, if, if we ever got anything close to good leadership in Iran, consider the following. Half the people in Iran have a college degree. Of that, over half are females. Iran publishes three times more books than the entire Arab-speaking world put together, all right? This is a very cultured, very deep civilization with very educated, cultured people that are being led by a horrendous gov government. Boy, I, my dream is, you know, we get a, a, you know, decent, you know, thoughtful government in Iran and we align totally with them. And that well, would be that would be a much better deal than anything it's else. A, it's a good dream. I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good dream. Amanda in East Tennessee says, I listen to your right. podcast every Thursday and eat right. Magic Spoon cereal. Yay for you, oh, Amanda. Wow. Go, Amanda. Go East Tennessee. Yay. I live in East Tennessee and serve people who've voted for Trump. I think they are poor, tired, and fed up. When will Democrats speak to people like me who haven't caught up to where we were in 2006? Well, East Tennessee is, is, is very tough for Democrats. You know, a, a little bit, put, put a little historical pr perspective, that was a very pro-union part of it the was. country during the Civil yeah. War. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a, a 
you know, but you know, Chattanooga's, you know, Knoxville is, you know, a bunch of great things in East Tennessee. But uh, you know, I, I did a real long way away from being able to compete, but much, very much bigger in that part of the world. I mean, that whole, you know, Northwest Georgia, Northern Alabama, East Tennessee, even to some extent Western North Carolina. That, that's some of the toughest, toughest sledding in the world, and I. I Wish I had better sort of news for you, but I don't. But you ask a good question, Amanda, and Democrats sure in general, even if they can't pick up win in places like uh, like East Tennessee or yeah, address cut, those kind of problems. Cut margins and, you know, yeah. and again, Tennessee, Nashville, you know, got migrants coming in, people from all over the world coming to Nashville. It's a hugely prosperous place. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll start seeing in Tennessee what we talked about in Arizona. It's not impossible, not impossible. Well, David in Miami, Florida says, two years ago, people on our side gave the Republicans a campaign slogan to use, Def defund the police. This year, Rick Scott has given us the slogan to use, namely, de-guarantee Social Security and Medicare. Shouldn't we be using that, especially in Florida and Arizona? James mentioned it earlier, and absolutely right. Uh, I, again, I think too many Democratic candidates say, well, I'm not going to really touch the economic issue. I just want to focus on abortion and extremism. Well, that's right. You ought to focus on that. But damn it, that's between you know prescription drugs and, and de-guaranteeing, as you put it, David, Social Security and Medicare. Those are great talking points, and it's not just in Florida and Arizona. Yeah, look, I, I think that, you know, I've I, I made some remarks on the line that, that this is not enough. I, I understand, abortion is a key argument for Democrats, and people know that there is a real distinction between the two, but I, I would use their extreme position on abortion to say it's totally consistent with other extreme positions they have, i.e. cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, raising taxes on people that make under $50,000, $55,000 a year, uh, you know, no limitation on age for buying, you know, handguns, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that the abortion issue is, a, is an important issue but as a standalone issue, it's better to parlay that into, you know, you didn't think they'd ever do this, and look what they did. Yeah. And they're going to do the same thing to this, and they're going to do the same thing to that. And I think there's a way that you can use it to project on where, where, you know, usually people say, well, no, you know, people say they'll never overturn Roe because it's a right, and you just, it doesn't make sense for a politician to do that. Well, they just did it. And, you know, there's this sort of natural thing is, well, they're, they're not going to really cut Social Security. Look at, you know, 50 million people, I don't know, 100 million people on Social Security. They'll do it. They don't. That, that sort of argument about they just say it, they'll never do it. We know, we know if they get in, they'll do it. Well, David, you make a good point. And uh, John in Sonoma, California. I think John is a repeat questioner, but damn it, James, they're always good. Yeah, I like so let's just keep point. going back to John. John yeah. wants to know, isn't there an insider that can give the DOG probable cause to search Trump Tower in Bedminster for stolen espionage documents? Is anyone going to come forward? Well, first of all, it's all about Sonoma. My daughter, uh, she went there and she she just loved it. And uh, she said, "Dad, I think I like Sonoma better than Napa." But I don't know. I'm not going to get into the Sonoma Napa dichotomy. But it, it's a it's a good contest. It's a great part of the world. And if you ask great questions, I mean, uh, for sure, you know. Uh, but yeah, I kind of agree. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Next, I'm going to take the next question. I know you're going to weigh in. Preston in Olympia, Washington asks, what do you think of all the seemingly limitless media attention Maggie Haberman has been getting with her drip-drip secrets of Trump world to promote her book? Do you think this is on the way to tantamount to free the kind of free media coverage Trump received in 2016? No, 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 Preston. I've just started to read Maggie Haberman's book. Uh, she is uh, the best White House reporter, at least since Lou Cannon. And I think Sean Wilentz, in a review in the, um, in the Washington Post last weekend, captured why. This is true of both Haberman and Cannon. They knew their subjects before they were president. 
it didn't they you know they, they didn't have a lot of learning to do they know what they were all about they know what uh, who, you know what uh, what motivated them they knew what their what their um, uh, core beliefs or non-beliefs were who was around them and Maggie just dominated that White House coverage a lot of the White House reporters she was the best uh, but I really think that you know she knew he was a con man from 20 years ago uh, and uh, she's just I've, I've only read the first you know 50 pages or so but uh, I think it's a great book and she deserves all the attention that uh, she can get. Well, you know, let me be up front here. I'm a Ma Maggie Haberman sycophant. I love her. Love, love her work and love her personally. And, and, you know, what you see here, I mean, she's been covering Trump forever. She, her dad was a journalist. She worked at the New York Post. She knows New York. I mean, I don't know if there's any more of a New Yorker uh, then Maggie is. She knew where Trump come from. She knew the whole story. She knew the whole ethos of 1980s real estate development in New York. And uh, there's a lot of journalists that are jealous because she gets all his stories and understands that. And that's because she's been on his beat for the last, I don't know, 40 years maybe. Not and quite that. She's not that old, James. Not but, quite that, but, but, but she's been but there she's, for a long time. She I'm has. Your back. point is very well taken. She's yeah. been there for a long time. I'm going to yeah. quibble and make, make Meg any older than she is. But but she has context in depth in her reporting, not just on Trump the person, but the surroundings and the, the way that he grew up and, you know, his, his early career. And she just brings a, 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 a real nuance that, you know, you just can't get by starting covering the White House and Trump in 2017. I'm you sorry. You can. You can. And that was that was what made Luke Cannon great, too. Uh, he had gone back uh, to, you know, almost 20 years before Reagan hit the White House. And they, they were. I've been in this town for a long time. And if someone said, tell me the two most knowledgeable, most dominant, best White House reporters in all that time. Uh, you know, I can't say my wife because that's a conflict of interest, right? But I would say it would be Lou Cannon and Maggie Haberman. Uh, and that's, that's covering a lot of territory. Trey in Oakland, California says, what is going on? This is, and I want to combine this with Kyle in Portland, Oregon. Kyle wants to know if the Republicans really can win the Oregon governorship. And Trey in Oakland, California says, what's going on in Oklahoma? I saw a poll where the Democrat is leading by four points. Uh, so I guess the question from both Kyle and Trey is, can a Republican win in Oregon and a Democrat in, in uh, Oklahoma, James? Well, I don't know. Oklahoma's very tough sledding. Uh, it, the, the Republican may win in Oregon. No one's ever been able to explain to me the thought process that went into the Portland city officials for allowing these criminals to just occupy a significant part of Portland. I, I, I don't understand it. I, 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 maybe one of our listeners from Oregon can, you know, inform me next week. I'm, I'm totally open to what the thought process was, but it didn't seem to me at a distance to be a, a very good decision. And I suspect that a lot of people, you know, in the whole Willamette Valley didn't think it was a particularly good idea, and it's, it's hurting the party. That's my guess. But well, the other thing that's hurting there, there's an independent candidate who has taken more votes from the Democrat. I mean, that independent candidate is getting 17, 19 percent of the vote. Uh, and that's coming more from the Democrats, so that's their best chance. Oklahoma, I look, I look at that Sooner poll. Uh, it's called the Sooner poll. It looks reliable. Uh, that woman, is it Hoffmeister, the, uh, the Democrat? Um, she's apparently run a very good race. She was four points ahead in that poll. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't bet on her winning, but also the current governor is not very popular. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you come within two or three in Oklahoma, that's pretty, that's pretty damn good. So, wait, this is a this is race for governor. Yes, in Oklahoma. Okay, so I have a lot of good. There's a lot of really good Democratic donors in Oklahoma who are very good friends of mine. I will check with them. The other thing to remember about Oklahoma is they passed Medicaid expansion and put yeah. on the ballot. Yeah. And I don't, as I recall, it wasn't even particularly close. No. Remember, we had Jim Langford, the Republican senator, on, who yes. was uh, still trying to recover from that. Right. And so, 
you know, remember Kansas has a Democratic governor. You know, Massachusetts has a Republican governor, Maryland. I mean, you you can get a, a quirky thing like this happen, you know, just like in, in Oregon. And I think the, the, the question was very sophisticated. And, you know, sometimes if things don't line up. You know, we told we were hopelessly partisan and everybody's going to vote a certain way. But the actual fact that we're talking about a Republican winning in Oregon, Oregon or a Democrat winning in Oklahoma, tells you that that. There are persuadable people out there. Well, I'll tell you what else it tells you, James. Candidates matter. Uh, yeah. And if they, have a, if they have better candidates, as they did with Kelly in Kansas and Baker in Massachusetts, uh, and maybe they have in, in Oregon and Oklahoma, I'm honestly not familiar very much with them, uh, that can make a difference. But we will, they, those, you're right, those are good questions. And, James, let's keep following that for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Oklahoma's a great state with great people. Go Bedlam Bowl or whatever they call it. Well, there was a there was a couple of very famous people born in Oklahoma, including my wife. So I I, I oh, will agree wow. with you. I no, will agree yeah. with you. Oh, totally. We don't want to. Yeah. We, 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 by the way, if, if, just on another, if you if I was going to make a bet on who's going to win the college football championship, and I I don't know what, but in long enough odds, I, I, I'd bet on Oklahoma State. I think they're pretty good. And now, whether they're Alabama, Georgia, but, you know, I, I don't know, but I suspect you can, you you can get a a, a, a pretty good odds taking them. But they they hadn't lost, and but they came back, you know, beat Notre Dame, and that I guess it was a Fiesta Bowl, and they haven't lost since then. I mean, it, well, I'm going to be a chalkator and say I think this is Ohio State's year. Could uh, be. Uh, yeah. in, in and mainly because I don't think Alabama and Georgia don't look as dominant as they have in the last couple could, of years. I, I look, Ohio State is traditionally in, is yeah. a very top-tier program, but you're not going to get... You're not going to get much return on your investment, you know. I'm not. Uh, and I, you know, no, they I'm not, probably will, but not only that, I'm always I'm looking for a price. I'm going to cheer for Michigan to beat them. Uh, but anyway, okay, listen, those questions are great. Keep them coming in. We love them, uh, and we'll get to as many as we can. Okay, James, now uh, for the outrage of the week. Mine isn't really an outrage, although I'll get to uh, an outrage part of it. The Nobel Prize for Economics was awarded to Ben Bernanke and two others for their work on how banks can cause financial crises. Federal Reserve Chairman Bernanke put that to good use in 2008 and 9 when he, along with Treasury Secretaries Paulson and Geithner, saved the country and probably the world from a depression. The Fed makes mistakes, but we have been remarkably well served by Democratic and Republican chairs Paul Volcker, Alan Greenspan, Bernanke, Janet Yellen, and now Jay Powell. So I guess my outrage here is, is that it's a reminder that critics like Rand Paul, who assailed Bernanke as a failure, are quacks. Quacks who don't know what they're talking about, and the media pays too much attention to them. Congratulations, Chairman Bernanke, who also is a great Washington Nationals baseball fan. Yeah. Well, he's also a Republican, or was. At he least, is. You know? Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. Republican pedigree. You know, it's always telling in the Herschel Walker saga. Who rolls out, other than our great moral arbiter, the great Christian gentleman, the great Catholic devout person, Newt Gingrich? And, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you like, you brought out laughing, and he says, you know, Herschel is going to be the most consequential senator of the 21st century because he has CTE and mental illness. Now, wait a minute. Just stop for a second. Do, do all, does anybody on this listen to this podcast or any of the hosts or any people that put it on do not think that mental illness is a huge problem in America? Of course it is. I think it's, it's covered under, elements of it are covered, covered under Obamacare and it, Medicare. It and, and people, in, and I've known people that have suffered from this. I've known people in my own family. It's, it, it's hardly a stigma. But there, you, don't, there's no one, you don't need to be in the United States Senate. It's not a qualification to be a United States Senator. So think of you got a guy on the ledge about to jump from, I don't know, the Empire State Building. And they send the psychiatrist, and they said, you don't want to do this, Sam. And says, well, I'm going to do it because I know I can fly. I said, no, you can't fly. You really can't. You need to come down. He says, no, I, I see things all the time. I see that there's mattresses down there. I'm not going to get hurt. No, there's no mattresses. There's nothing but street. 
And so Sam looks at the negotiator and says, what are you going to do for me? He says, we're going to give you a seat in the United States Senate. Just walk off the ledge because you're really qualified. I, I, I mean, the crap that they come up with and say with a straight face, and then you, you back off and you say, wait a minute, this makes no goddamn sense at all. That, you know, it was a great Roman Ruska, Huska, whatever you remember. Roman Ruska. He said, look, mediocre people need senators like everybody else. The noblest Roman of them all. (laughs) Right. So the the new Gingrich argument is we got a lot of mentally ill people. They need somebody in the Senate. (laughs) I mean, you don't even, you go by until you stop and you think about it. So I'm on this with this Scott Jennings and Mitch McConnell flunky that CNN has to balance out, you know, because they got they got to do that now. And he said, look, uh, we're all fought. Defending Herschel Walker, well, of course we fought. Bless me, Father, five cent. I, I uttered a misogynistic thought under my breath when somebody, a woman cut in front of me in the left turn lane. And I was short to my wife, and oh, I didn't mention this. I have four different children by four different women, one of whom I held a gun to her head, the other who I tried to choke, and I never spend any time with my children. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Don't try to convince people that it is. Amen. Yay, James. Boo. Newt Gingrich, who's a, a fool. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors. Hold on bags, the Jordan Harbinger Show, and Miracle Brand in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. So to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning. 